some rather troubling unfoldings are happening in American cities these last few days. I'm going to read a poem of sort this morning to begin from the Dhammapada. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind. And suffering follows as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a peaceful mind and happiness follows like a never departing shadow. Forty years ago, I learned a different translation that goes something like this as I remember it. Mind is the forerunner of all states. Mind is chief, mind is queen, mind is king. If a person thinks or acts with a mind rooted in greed, hatred, and ignorance, then suffering follows that person like the wheel in the track of the ox. Mind is the forerunner of all states. Mind is chief, mind is queen, mind is king. If a person thinks or acts with a mind rooted in love, compassion, greed, uh, compassion, uh, wisdom, and generosity, then happiness follows that person like the moon in the path of the stars. It goes on. He abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. For those carrying on like this, hatred does not end. She abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. For those not carrying on like this, hatred ends. And the essence of it, hatred never ends through hatred. By non-hate alone does it end. This is the ancient truth. Many do not realize that we here must all die. For those who realize this, Quarrels end. And all tremble at violence, all fear death. Seeing others as being like yourself, do not kill or cause others to kill. All tremble at violence. Life is dear for all. Seeing others as being like yourself, do not kill or cause others to kill. If desiring happiness, you use violence to harm living beings who desire happiness, you won't find happiness after death. If desiring happiness, you do not use violence to harm living beings who desire happiness, you will find happiness after death. It goes on. Don't speak harshly to anyone. What you say will be said back to you. Hostile speech is painful, and you will be met with retaliation. want to return to the hatred never ends through hatred. 
by not hate thy by non hate alone does it end this is the ancient truth and i'm trying to get the pimc website to open it's being a little recalcitrant Oh, maybe I'll do without it. It's a little daunting. I find it a bit daunting to know what to say today. I've been up for a long time already today, reflecting on it. I watched a little bit of news. And it's pretty powerful, isn't it? In my watching, I, you know, one sees through the lens of the people who are there, the reporters. And, Actually, my daughter Tara yesterday hooked me to a friend of hers um, to his Facebook feed. And he was in Charlotte, I think, North Carolina. Uh, but they, they knew each other from Standing Rock when um, we were there back when that happened. And he's a medic and he took himself there. Um, but the videos have these encounters happening between um, very black clad police people who look sort of like robocops and um, protesters in various ways. And there's a lot of anger. And um, there was one instance that I saw where a a reporter was holding his press pass up and saying, press, press, and policeman indicated, get down. And then as he was lying there, someone came along and sprayed him in the face with pepper spray. So there's a lot of out of control anger and violence. So what to say about such a thing? It's frightening. What to say about the, um, what appears to be a breakdown in civility in our culture? What to say about 400 years of institutional racism? I have two little um, audio-visual things I want to try to share. I always approach it with trepid <laughs> some caution because it's not guaranteed to work. But here's one of them. Let's try it. Uh, that's on, that's on. Nike put this out today or yesterday.
Adidas, the great competitor with Nike, forwarded that on. Kind of a nice touch. And now let me see if I can find this other thing. That's, uh, there it is, okay. Maybe I can get to it. Some years ago, I went with my wife Jennifer to the Blues Fest in New Orleans. This is, this is hard to talk about without getting really choked up. Uh, and while we were there, we went to see the Whitney Plantation. And the Whitney Plantation is a museum of a sort which is dedicated to the reality of slavery. And I found it absolutely mind-boggling. And we had a tour with this very colorful guy. I can't remember his name, but uh, he, he turned my head around in a variety of ways. He then the next day gave us a tour of the Ninth Ward where the flooding was the worst in New Orleans and explained all the politics that had to do with people not really being, not able to get their land back uh, intentionally. Um, but anyway, he, he, he gave this talk in front of a wall and the wall had the names of slaves, the stories of slaves. And there was another place where there were, I think it's 300,000 plaques on the walls of known slaves at, in, in, in Louisiana. Anyway, this little clip, if I can get it to work, is him talking about the papal, the Pope, blessing slavery, making it normal. So let me see if I can get to it. And here he is. This one is the most potent, I think. Well, it might take a moment to download. If it's too long, I'll bail on it, but. Oh, there's the little indicator. The why I want to share this is it, it it articulates how normal and how, how much a fabric of the culture um, slavery was and the, the fruits of it persist. The dark peoples of the world are heathens, savages, ungodly, unchristian, and therefore they ought to be invaded, conquered, subjugated and made the perpetual slaves of whites. That legal church decree emanating from the Vatican of Rome would give a Christian coverage to slavery for the next 500 years. Nicholas would die, ladies and gentlemen, but there would be 15 other popes after him that would reaffirm the papal bull. So the agreement.
following that trip, I got very interested in some of the literature that was available, that is available. The New Jim Crow, an amazing book called The Half Has Not Been Told, in which the financial history of the entire slavery enterprise was laid out very clearly. So why talk about this? I guess before I lose track of myself, what's the task of a meditator, of a Buddhist meditator, if we want? What's the first task in such a time? And I think it's to remain balanced. It's to participate to the degree that we do in the happenings of the culture, but also to do enough practice and to seek enough comfort with our colleagues <laughs> so that we can maintain love and compassion and kindness and sanity. Um, I really don't believe it helps to take sides and to be on one side of the barricade or another, unless one can be loving to be there. Way back in the times of uh, Ronald Reagan, I, um, I, got a, I got somewhat involved and I, I went to some demonstrations and uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to lead a meditation <laughs> that, that was a loving kindness meditation that would include us, but also would include Ronald Reagan to see him as a, a human being who, because of his conditioning, is acting as he was, and that holding him in hatred serves no purpose other than to further create division and um, horrors. And in that, in that regard, I, it, and it's funny, I do it with a little trepidation, but that African-American man that died so tragically, George Floyd, was, it appears, killed by Derek Chauvin. Should we hate Derek Chauvin? He was a person who had, I think, 18 or something previous complaints against him. Why the system didn't stop him sooner? Who knows? And, this, the, and the reason is institutional racism. But I believe that from, our pers from the perspective of, of uh, wanting to open to love and compassion in ourselves and the world, that then we have to do the hard work of really noticing where we, where we get rigid and where we want to throw someone out of our hearts. Now, loving, as, as Achan Samedo put it so beautifully years ago, uh, love means there's room for everything. And compassion means we're open to the suffering of other beings. It doesn't mean we don't call the police. It doesn't mean we don't press charges. It doesn't mean we don't hold people accountable. But it does mean that we don't get on the ramparts and start firing off hatred. 
So, hatred is never extinguished by hatred. Only through love is hatred appeased or healed. We have with the Dharma quite, um, quite a marvelous toolbox of becoming, that, that teaches us, number one, how to calm down the mind, Number two, how to observe and to notice, how to notice the five hindrances, the first two of which are desire, greed, wanting, wanting, and then aversion, hatred, pushing away. And we can notice the, the arising of these, and then we can make choices about which ones we feed, which ones we restrain, which ones we speak out of, which ones we don't, and which ones we act out of, and which ones we don't. I just remembered where I am sitting here in this Dharma Hall where so many of you have sat before and will again, I hope, soon. I've spoken with a good number of people in the last week or so, and a few in the last couple of days since this national catastrophe began. And this is frightening a lot of people. It's freaking people out. It can set off hopelessness and... Um, you know, it's, it's a sign of cultural breakdown and it's doubly or triply or quadruply frightening because we have no leadership. We have no moral and ethical leadership for sure. And so we don't have strong voices for peace. Though there are many, of course, but not right from the top. And so this can set off any trauma we had in our own childhoods or in our lives around things being out of control or, about, or around violence. This will set that off in us and um, it can have us behaving rather crazily. And in that regard, it's so, um, I don't, I am sure, I cannot imagine, even imagine, what it's like to be African American and to have this happening. Oh, there's the tears. 400 years generation after generation. So, I believe our first undertaking must be to comfort ourselves and to, to, to find places of safety and to talk to people who will help us so that we can remain in balance and not act unskillfully.
And then arises the question, well, what can we do? What can I do? Um, <clears throat> I was investigating just when COVID came along, there's a, a program for, um, for white people to educate themselves about racism that I was hoping to do sometime this spring and that got pushed aside. But raising our own knowledge, our own understanding of what's been happening and what does happen can be very helpful, done from a place of a calm heart, or at least a, a calmable heart. And I came across, and I, I meant to get the footnote, but I lost it in my research this morning. There's a, a, a list of charities that one can contribute to and um, petitions you can join, or maybe in the case of some of us, it might be important and what you want to do, which is to go participate in some demonstration and to be a force of love in that circumstance. And I know it can be, I know it can be very challenging. I, a long time ago, it's really a long time. My son was three years old, I think. I had him on my shoulders and we, I was participating in a demonstration that stopped the nuclear bomb train. That went, It went one time from Texas, from the Pentex plant to Bangor, Washington, and it contained maybe 100 thermonuclear weapons. And I was part of a, an, or, a, an or, or organized demonstration where we stopped the train and uh, people stopped it all the way from, from uh, the Pentex plant. But I found it really, really, I'd had some nonviolent training, but here I was even with my son on my shoulders and I saw a little roughness in the police and I was, I found myself getting angry and I spoke angrily. My, the tone of my voice was angry. And one of the trainers came and touched me on the shoulder and said, no anger. Um, and I had two encounters that day that were incredibly helpful. One was with a young man about my age uh, and I was talking to him through his plexiglass shield. And I said, you don't know why I'm here. I'm here because these bombs will blow up babies like mine. And a single tear came out of his eye. And he'd been silent up till then. And he said, you know, sir, I'm just trying to do my job. And then when the whole thing was over, and there was no violence, when the whole thing was over, the the um, police, the, the, what are they called, the, the heavily ar armored ones were walking in a loose formation down the road with their leader leading them. And I placed myself where Luke and I were right in front of him. And uh, when he stopped, I said, I want to thank you because you guys did a great job today. Nobody got hurt. There was no violence. And he smiled and said, yes, sir. I think we all played our roles very well today. So remaining sane not freaking out. Or if we freak out, really dig deep inside. Why is it that I'm freaking out? What is it about this that is upsetting to me? 
and doing what we need to do to calm that and to become wise about it. And I think that's what I have to say. Yeah. So, let me just think a second. Oh, uh, I forgot announcements. One announcement that I want to be sure to say is that next Saturday, from nine to one, Betsy Toll and I will be doing a retreat workshop on, before it was the COVID-19 time, but it also now includes this, this uproar in our culture, how, how to use this time to really connect into our hearts and into our vulnerabilities and to, to, um, to develop our caring and compassion for ourselves and all beings. Betsy and I spent an hour yesterday talking about it and uh, I find her incredibly wise and comforting and I'm sure that it will be a beautiful morning next Saturday from nine till one. And I guess one other detail, which is that uh, in order to create greater security in our Zoom broadcasts, the link for this meeting will be, we're, I'm, I'm going to replace the links for this and also for the everyday um, meetings. And uh, I'll be posting that, or th those of you that attend the, <laughs> the six day a week, seven in the morning one, I'll be posting it next week, how to get into the new one. Um, and this one next Sunday, uh, I'll be posting the link on that. And they will be on the portlandinsight.org website. It's a drag, but a wise thing to do. And also an invitation Jim, who led you in the movement, has a gathering on Monday nights, and then all the other nights of the week, our various teachers here at PIMC are, um, are hosting gatherings and keeping the light of the Sangha going. And I guess lastly, I look around this room. This is your room. I mean, it literally is. PIMC is a nonprofit church. And it's run, it's, it's directed by a board of directors. Um, and it doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to the other teachers. It is ours. And it does an incredible amount of good work. Uh, lives are transformed all the time in this place. And so I invite you to, uh, if you have the means, to visit the portlandinsight.org website and to become a contributing member, a participant, uh, what do we call the stewardship circle, and do a monthly contribution, or just go in and make a contribution for today as part of your spiritual practice, not because you should. Uh, in fact, only from Marshall Rosenberg, please contribute only if you can do it with the joy of a small child feeding a hungry duck. So it's not about coercion. It really is about an opportunity to support something of such great beauty as this. All right, I now will ask 
for your response to this or your sharing or your questions or just how is it for you in this moment? Robert, this is Jim. I uh, posted a link to a podcast that I listened to a couple of years ago now, I think, but it's called Seen on Radio. And the, uh, there, were, there were two fellows, one white and one black, and they were talking about race in America. And I went through the whole series with them uh, on my phone, and I found it really uh, helpful to open my heart to the whole situation. But the, the second uh, episode has a link that um, ties into what you were talking about, about the papal, uh, the Pope giving authority to, to the concept of race. The intelligentsia in Portugal put, uh, uh, put, put their stamp of approval on the whole notion of, of race, which has never been established scientifically. It was a concept that was uh, put together for the king to justify the Portuguese uh, uh, colonization of, 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 of the new world, whatever. But anyway, the, the, uh, that, that section, part two, was uh, just amazing to me. So um, I just po posted it on the, the chat. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Robert, I, I have just... a question. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> um, I'm really glad you talked about this um, because I decided to attend today and last week um, just because since every, the whole pandemic started, I feel like I've just been experiencing a lot of self-judgment um, because I'm in a pretty fortunate position. Um, and in the past couple of weeks, it's really become overwhelming. <laughs> and I think it's really important to, you know, recognize my relative privilege, but it's like, it's really, <laughs> I don't know. It, I just have been experiencing a lot of self-judgment and like almost disgust with myself in these circumstances because I'm so fortunate um, and I know so many people are suffering so much. Um, anyway, so if, if you could say anything about that, that would really be helpful. Thank you. What is your name? My name's Rebecca. <laughs> Rebecca. Thank you, Rebecca. And let me just sit with that for a moment. It's a really unfortunate piece of malware, I think, in our conditioning that would have us become shameful about privilege. Privilege arises through where we were born and how our lives have unfolded. And it's not as though we've done something wrong to be in a privileged position. It's that our karmic unfolding has led to this. 
the issue is, I think, as always, as I realize it, what do I do next? Um, funny, I just had a memory of a, <laughs> very interesting, uh, I had a college girlfriend that um, we lost touch with each other for a long time. And then when I got back, we got back in touch with each other. We had a conversation and she became an attorney in Los Angeles, very powerful. And she, she had one of the, one of the big brokerage companies uh, was her, was her customer. And she told me that she had made a decision that she, she was doing uh, work for, for, um, you know, public defender work. And anyway, she make me too long a story of this. She said, I, I have one little corner of my desk that I devote to prison issues. And then she talked about how she had single handedly changed the access to medical care of the entire California prison system. And she did it from her position of privilege, privilege and power that she made really good use of her privilege. And I think that's somehow that one way or another that's open to any of us. And, and we, can, we can practice being generous and we can make really good use of, of the skills we have and the place we have in society in order to create a different future. And, and to, to become, I know this for sure, to become mired in self-hatred and shame is then we're, we're, we're kind of spinning our wheels and we can't be very helpful. We're, we're, not, we're not even being loving of ourselves, let alone others. So is that making sense? Yes, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Thank you so much. And this, this malware that we have of self-hatred in itself is very bizarre and it's not common all over the world. Yeah. Oh, it's not helpful <laughs> at all. Yeah. It's not, is it? <laughs> no. 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 So, yeah, I think I, I think I, I feel like it's necessary sometimes, but it's, I, I, it's good to be, just be reminded that at a certain point, once you've recognized your privilege, that's when it's time to act and not get lost in the story about it and yourself, you know? Right. Yeah. Because we could spend a lifetime being lost in, you know, what a bad, awful person I am. And meanwhile, all these opportunities to be of service and, and uh, helpful would be passed. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Robert, I wanted to share this because it, your teachings, um, you know, from retreats I've done with you and, and the myriad recordings that I've listened to, you've, you have this phrase, I haven't heard you use it recently, but in meditations, particularly meta meditation, Jill, you say something like, um, amidst all this pain, how can we do anything but love? Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, I've always struggled with that because amidst all of my pain, love was the hardest thing for me to find. <laughs> and I had a, a, a lived, I'll call it a lived spiritual moment, not that long ago. Um, I was meditating and I was meditating on my pain and uh, from childhood trauma, difficult with parents. 
And something turned and I realized that's not my pain. That was my, fa my father's pain and my mother's pain. That I'm not, it's, it's not my pain. It was, it's like a, a backpack that I was carrying that was handed to me. And then I went to my parents in this meditation and realized they were carrying the pain that had been handed to them. And I started looking at my brothers and my sister and we're, you know, always at each other in this family thing that we do and realizing that this was a shared pain. It's something we have in common and broadened out and it just kept escalating exponentially. And I got buried in this, all this pain all this pain, I mean, oh, it was, it was unbearable. And something clicked in the back and it was this godlike voice woman who said, all you can have is compassion for this universal human experience of pain. Pain is the human experience and and all you can do is just have compassion. It was like this white marshmallow of relief because it's, it just is. It's the human experience. And I suddenly, I, I had the lived experience, I think, of what you, you were saying. What, what can we do but love? How do we have any other choice? And to deal with it and, and, and Rebecca to forgive ourselves for it. You didn't do this to yourself. Um, it just is our lived experience. And sitting here in Richmond, Virginia, the capital of the Confederacy, uh, moved here seven years ago. I now lead bicycle tours, <laughs> steeped in, in Richmond history, and learned so much that I was never taught about uh, racism and, um, and this country. And the fact that slavery wasn't alone to this country. It was a huge trading triangle through uh, South America and Africa. The Euro Europe was very much involved in it. We were just one of the last countries to do something about it. And Richmond's role in that, and, and just little oddball facts, like the, the dollar value of slaves as property was greater than the entire industrial wealth of the country at the time of the Civil War. 40% of the population of the South were enslaved people and things that I never knew, and Reconstruction, which was only a paragraph in my high school history text, and how important that period was. Um, and um, what I've found for myself is a great deal of humility, realizing that their history is also our history, these incredible monumental Confederate monuments here, which if you look in today's paper, you'll see are just riddled with graffiti now. They were the subject of uh, being removed and conversations about that and all the uproar in this socially conservative town about, oh, you're taking away our history. Well, they're now covered in graffiti and that is, that is now also our history. And they were talking about how to contextualize those monuments instead of taking them down. In my opinion, they're now contextualized. Um, <laughs> And uh, to, more than anything, to actually really try to understand the lived experience of these people who are in our culture. Um, I was on Facebook, uh, somebody had posted uh, this post by a fellow by the name of Shola Richards. I can put the link in the chat. 
and he just talked about how he takes his daughter, he's an African-American, takes his daughter on his walks around the block, not so much to take his daughter, but to protect himself. Because if he's this six foot four tall strapping African-American man alone walking around the block, then he's at risk. But if he takes his daughter, he's not. And then to, to have compassion for that uh, and to understand that, to, you know, and as you say, Chauvin, the, the, uh, the Minneapolis policeman, and, and what kind of painful, twisted soul he must have to spend almost nine minutes on the neck of this person with his knee. I mean, to have that lived experience, you know, the pain that's in there. Um, and hatred, I don't know, it, it, it's an obstacle to compassion. It's a way not to face the reality that pain is universal and we've got to just find humility somehow. I, I don't have an answer, but, but that's where I am with it. Sorry to go so long, but I felt it. Thank you, David. This is Tiffany. Tiffany. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for speaking on this topic. Um, I'm a really big feeler and I've been feeling it a lot. Um, I just wanted to say uh, for anyone who's really feeling moved, um, I tend to interpret when I have really strong emotion um, that that is intelligence inside of me asking for me to do something. Uh, and so in this case, um, there are many actions that, that can be taken for anyone who is really feeling moved. And there are many resources available online. I really encourage folks to have a look. Uh, and I did put something in the chat, which is one thing that could be done, which is to make some phone calls um, and, and say that you stand for accountability um, and so I just wanted to say that, um, that that is something when we are in a place of privilege, when we find ourselves in a place of privilege, we can use our voices and we can speak for what we, we know is about a fair and just and compassionate response to the pain that is being felt by so many people. And I really encourage folks to find their courage and, and do that action. Um, it, it may feel uncomfortable at first, but actually, as soon as you do the first phone call, it, it starts to feel better. So really very simple. Just call the phone number and it'll take you through prompts. And then Tiffany even included a little script of just say, state your name and your state of residence and that you're a U.S. citizen and that you are uh, demanding accountability. There's a script basically in there. And then you hit start and it takes you to the next call. It's very well organized and incredibly effortless. It's just, and you can reach a lot of different offices in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, between the police and senators. And it's amazing. Really, really quite easy at this point. It's been very well organized. Thank you. Thank you. Robert, is the, um, is the chat preserved when we go off or does it disappear? because there are resources being put on the chat, but. It is preserved. I don't know where I would put it. Oh, I could, <laughs> I, 
I could try to put it on my blog. That I got that to work again. Uh, I can put it on the listserv easily. Um, we need to figure that out. Tiffany, maybe you'll help me figure out how to do that. Um, so yes, I will, I will put it on my blog, which if you go to portlandinsight.org slash blog, um, I'll put it there today. Robert, I just posted something on the blog about a series that I watched on Netflix. Yeah. Very, very long, but it's on slavery in Colombia, and um, it's on, they're on plantations and it's beautiful. And I really recommend people looking at this. The, if we can do anything for slavery in South America on plantations. Oh, and if we can do anything, I think we need to be mindful. Sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, our sitting and just understanding this deeply and mm -hmm. acting mindfully. Thanks, Kathleen. Good morning. This is Emily. Hello, Emily. Hey, I just want to echo um, what Tiffany said uh, about calling. That's one of the things that in my own work as a person with white privilege that is the most scary for me because I fear conflict and not being able to explain myself well enough. And, and I've just realized that that's not enough to be afraid of being uncomfortable. Um, and that's really resting in my privilege. And so I just want to encourage all of you who are afraid of taking action at whatever level that is that, um, you know, you, you can do it and it's totally worth it and it's necessary. And I think I also want to encourage people to do the, the deep internal work. Um, so if you're, if you need resources for that, um, I've been working my way through the Me and White Supremacy um, book and workbook, uh, really looking at my own internalized white, white privilege and um, biases. And um, I think that meditation is helping me so much in this practice um, because yeah, I have to sit with the discomfort and um, I have to notice when resistance comes up in me and that's in my body and I'm more aware of my biases and my thoughts when they do arise. And that's really the only way that from my own place I can act um, skillfully. Um, and that includes taking action, but starting with, with myself. You, you mentioned a book, Me yes. and White Supremacy? It's called Me and White Supremacy. Yeah, I can put it in the chat by Leila Saad. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic book and uh, workbook to unpack your white privilege and all these scenarios. Quite powerful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Hey, Robert. Hi. Paul here. Hello, Paul. Is my camera on? Turn it on. Hold on. Oh. Yeah, it's on. Okay. I, um, so, uh, oh, that's the name of my tablet. Sorry. <laughs> um, um, so what's, what's coming up in my practice is uh, um, kind of weird uh, because it's uh, treading a very fine line right now. Um, my son, who is 20 years old, uh, who is uh, half African-American, um, is brimming with a lot of very powerful emotions right now. And um, 
were it not for the fact that he's sick and dealing with some uh, medical issues, he might have been at the riot. Um, he has admitted as much to me. Um, prior to this happening, uh, he's already having a very hard time with what's going on in society in general, right? I think I've spoken about this in numerous groups that, you know, even before the pandemic, everyone's nerves were already frayed. Um, and now, you know, we're just adding layers and layers of more trauma and challenge uh, upon ourselves um, through all of these, these things. And uh, it's no surprise to me that America's uh, shadow uh, would be one of the, the biggest things to emerge during this time of stress and, and, and pain. Um, but with him, it's, it's, I understand the rage, right? I mean, it's, it's a delicate maneuver uh, to, you have to allow for that rage that it's, it's, you know, for a person who, who practices and does the journey inward, um, you know, there's a finer point to it, but for a person who's not done that yet, um, it's a difficult maneuver because I don't want to negate his rage. I don't want to, and I don't want to hit him with a bunch of rhetoric and pablum of, you know, the, the same old, um, uh, ineffectual, uh, catchphrases that, that don't really do anything for anyone either. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he's coming into a world that is very, very scary right now. And, uh, he wants to do something about it. And, um, I'm very proud of him for that because he wants to be engaged, but I also hear that, that rage and that, that, uh, a lot of his language has been about our side, their side, right? Uh, the taking of sides that's that's in his mind um, and you know it's it's just for me trying to model a, a, an attitude of presence and calm um, sometimes feels a little bit uh, ineffectual because you know, if you look at the arc of history, people have been asking nicely and calmly and nonviolently for a very long time. And it's hard not to justify a riot because if things are not happening and they're not being heard and nothing's happening and you keep asking nicely and peacefully and calmly and then somebody still gets strangled to death, it's galling, it's maddening, it's frustrating. And so uh, it's just for me, um, trying to figure out what's that fine line, how to how to honor that rage and still maintain my internal core value and belief that violence will not solve this. But um, you know, Dr. King never condoned riots, but he did say, you know, that that rioting is the is the voice of the unheard that's what happens. You know, it's sort of a, it's sort of a societal karmic uh, result, you know, that um, this is what, this is what you get, you know, this is what happens. We can't be terribly surprised at it. And, you know, it's, it's just difficult to maintain that, uh, that conviction, that, that core conviction and value uh, going forward, because this is very salient, very powerful and very prominent for all of us here in the family um, when these kinds of things happen. Um, so, um, that's kind of what's going on for me and, and, and us here. Thank you. Thank you.
Yeah, Robert, it's Sherry. Hello, Sherry. Up in Canada. I watch the stories of what's been happening south of the border and I feel so sad and so sorry. Um, I signed petitions. I haven't done any calling, but it hit me personally. And many of these things I think are, we feel very strongly about them, but if, if it's not really personal, it doesn't touch us in the same way. And what you were saying about you couldn't imagine what it's like to be an African-American right now or an African-Canadian. It totally hit me when I went on Instagram to find a, a very just simple remark from my friend's grandson who is half African-American. He's a fine young man. He's just a terrific he loves birding, he loves photography. It just, anyway, here was the thing on Instagram from him and it said, am I next? Mm -hmm. Wow. That, that just, that really hit me. Thanks, Sherry. Robert, it's Joan. Hello, Joan. My question is, we're being told now that the white supremacists have come in and, and sort of orchestrated these protests. How do we deal with that? I have no idea. Pra practically, I mean, I have no idea how we would deal with that. I, I do believe uh, there are people who uh, look forward to an opportunity to act out and smash windows and light fires and carry guns. And, uh, and I, I simply don't know practically what one does about that. And, well, and there's an encouragement of conflict from the top. Uh, which is very concerning to me as we head into this election year and uh, a move to, to, to make the election not count. And it's so it's part of the, the anguish in me is, is the, 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 the movement toward tyranny and oligarchy that's happening, which makes everything much worse. And what to do about that? I don't know. Robert, I have a thought if I could share it, and that is that, um, I mean, yeah, there were comments about the white supremacists, but uh, I, I don't know if it's Pence or Trump, we're talking about it being Antifa. Uh, you know, every, you know, Putin or China, they're always talking about outside agitators, or it's the CIA, and the net effect of that is to try to discount the seriousness or the um, virtue or the integrity of the demonstration itself. Oh, the, the violence was caused by these outsiders, so we don't really have to pay attention to that. Ah, We're interesting. That angry. And I think if we cannot allow ourselves to be diverted from that or by those tactics, <sighs> and because and, it keeps us from listening, 
and that's the bottom line. I think someone earlier talked about, uh, you know, this, I guess it was Vic, that this has been going on and people don't listen. You know, Colin Kaepernick can't take a knee. Peaceful protest. Well, he can't, can't protest that way. How can they protest? How can they get the message out? Well, through violence, apparently, because they're not listened to. And these are all ways to distract from the message of the protest, I think. Uh, it doesn't make any difference, you know? The protest is there and it needs to be paid attention to. Thank you. Yeah. I'd like to, hi, this is Gail, and I'd like to um, put a shout out for uh, the fact that we are human beings and as human beings, we are limited. And I, I do not believe that human beings were, were evolved into the state that we are in. Um, I don't believe we have the capacity or we're really meant to shoulder the world's problems. When you think about when we were in small tribes and small groups back time in millennium, that, that wasn't necessary. You know, the psyche, in my opinion, is not equipped to deal with the magnitude of um, worldwide conflict. Mm. And it, it promotes a sense of helplessness. I'm hearing it in the sharing this morning. And um, I think the the Buddha probably, um, it, it makes me wonder what um, the Buddha would have said about this, you know, that this is the, the dukkha magnified uh, thousands of times. <laughs> and uh, um, so I kind of go back to that thing that you were sharing about, um, you know, being in the here and now and being grateful and compassionate to people um that's all i have control over thanks and gail it's it's a real relief you know to me to know that so that i don't step into this thing where i mean i already went through marching for the vietnam war and watching kids get beat up at portland state mm -hmm. okay by the the national guard you know um so I guess I've, I've been down the road once and I, um, in some ways I'm seasoned sort of understanding what our limitations really are, you know, thank so you. that's, that's just my take today. So thank you so much. Robert and Sangha, this is John and, uh, I, uh, had a, an interesting uh, experience just recently uh, cruising uh, the televisions uh, programs and so on and uh, I came across a uh, something on Amazon Prime about the the Dalai Lama was speaking on hatred and anger and I think the bottom line was that we must communicate and what we are doing now is polarizing the situation to such a degree, it's become that polarized, so that there's no possibility of communication because we, we end up blaming each other for this, that, and the other. And that's been going on for thousands of years. 
not only in our culture, but pretty practically every culture there has been. And so, uh, but the Dalai Lama gave some very interesting insights into uh, his, his uh, into anger and hatred. So Thank you. I offer that to the, to the uh, to Sangha. So I'm looking at my watch, it's noon. I'd like to invite if there's anyone sitting with something that it would be helpful or important for you to speak, please do so. Hi, Robert, it's Alicia. Hello, Alicia. How are you? Good to see you. You as well. Um, I just would like to say, and there has been some talk in the chat, that this is a topic that I would love to see, um, you know, continue as a topic of concern for, for those who are interested in going a little deeper or much deeper. I, um, in my previous job, did a fair amount of work around racial equity, although I will say I still feel that there's, I have so much more to learn. But one of the things that I um, have really felt, I guess a lack of maybe, is to have done that in the context of a community, which might then help, help me take action um, or, or take action as a group in a way to have those supports. And I, I feel as though helplessness needs to be um, met with, with some sort of action that um, just sitting with the helplessness might be a step toward healing, but I think that action is another important step and it's hard to, to take action sometimes when one feels alone or uh, when one feels alone or isolated <laughs> as many of us obviously do right now, but even in normal times, I think people feel very, it can be very difficult and scary to take action. So, um, for what it's worth, I would be very supportive of um, <clears throat> having a, a training. I know um, I saw in the comments that there has already been something like that before. Um, so I'm not prescribing anything, but I just wanted to put that out there. Thank you. And thank you for speaking today. It's been really important. Thanks. Anybody else? Good morning, Sangha. David. Good morning. I just wanted to put something out there. And I don't think, it sounds like it hasn't been in the media very much, but uh, a friend of mine in Seattle was in the protest yesterday. And aside from all the rioting and looting and other things, there was also streams of tens of thousands of people. Um, I don't know if you, if you know Seattle at all, kind of like, as the streets come down from Capitol Hill, they were they were coming down, and there were there was there was tens of thousands of people, you know, chanting together, moving together, and it was uh, it was also another very powerful image, and um, a very a very good counter to everything else that's been going on. Thank you.
I particularly like you without hoses and dials. Thank you. Really? Hi, Robert. I hear someone. My name is Nessie. Hello, Nessie. And I'm coming from Medford, Oregon. Uh huh. I just moved from Salem recently, four or five months ago, to Medford. Uh huh. Um, actually, I visited your sangha in late '90s, and I few times after that um, mm. with a friend and also with my partner at that time. But I'd like to say a few sentences, if I may. Um, I honor Dalai Lama's um, suggestion for all of us to have some type of conversation, discussion, communication among ourselves and with people of color. Um, and I'm sure all of us, we know of a few uh, in our community, in our circle of friends, in our sanghas, uh, in our families, uh, among our friends, and even coworkers. In order to have communication and discussion, we need to have um, the ability to listen. And listening is a very hard art. <laughs> Not all of us, we master that art. We love to talk. We love to uh, give opinions we like to come up with solutions. And at times those are all okay and validated. But we need to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes and understand their experience. Without listening, we cannot have compassion. We cannot have understanding. And we need to validate the other person's experience. That brings, hopefully, some type of dialogue, as Dalai Lama says, some type of discussion, communication, understanding, and hopefully the end result would be some type of problem solving. Um, I encourage all of you, as you can see from my accent, um, to reach out to those whose experience is different than yours. Their life is different than yours. Uh, in this country, at workplace, in public, and just try to understand their daily life and a bigger picture, a bigger um, solution always comes 
as Mother Teresa says, with small action. And uh, we have plenty to work on ourselves. And before we work on somebody else, let's work on ourselves, actually. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was beautiful, articulate, and very comforting. So, dear friends, thank you for joining together this morning. I feel more, I guess, integrated with myself and supported in community after this conversation. I think I'd like to end this morning differently. I'm not sure quite how. Tiffany. Yes. Could you, with relative ease, lead us in a little chant with your harmonium? Mm. Mm. Sure. What do you want to say? Um, I think the harmonium is nice. We're going mobile. And so let us open our hearts in compassion to ourselves. As David pointed out, it was actually Rena Sirkar, teacher I knew in San Francisco, who said, who would help us think about our lives a little bit and how incredibly difficult they've been. And then she would do this to close gatherings. And then she would say, and given the reality of all this, this suffering we've all experienced, how can we be anything but loving of each other? Because even the most privileged of lives is shot through with suffering. I have a friend who works with the, with the one-tenth of one percent of the wealthy, the super wealthy and he said to me, he says to me, don't think their lives are that different. They're all unhappy. They have marital, marital struggles and sick children, and they're very anxious about their money. And it's the human condition. So recognizing this, how can we be anything but loving of each other? Hmm. And I lost Tiffany. Where'd you go, Tiff? Can you hear us? Oh, I can now. Yeah, there you are. Hello. 
So. Do you need another minute, sweet? I do need another minute. Just one more minute, please. Please, we'll we'll just sit here and love ourselves and each other. Yeah. <laughs> and all beings and. To all the all the people in these demonstrations who've been injured, who are suffering from pepper spray hangovers and their lungs hurt, and, and the police officers who whose hearts have been hurt by acting as they have and by the the various things they've run into. Everyone playing their part and doing it from different levels of ignorance. And may the message, the true message that's there behind this demonstration, these, that, that we need to love each other more and we need to, we need to create structures which will, which will do something significant about systemic and structural racism because it does hurt all of us. There's one other factoid I, was th I thought to mention when I think when David was speaking in my reading, I discovered that there was terrible violence between the slave owners, that a, a, an owner of slaves in the South had a 10 times more, was, it was 10 times more probable that he would be killed by another slave owner than people who were living in the, in the Northern colonies that the, the moral degradation that they experienced doing what they were doing totally tore them up. Of course, it doesn't validate what they were doing. That's not at all the idea, but, but there's such a terrible price to treat uh, when we treat others badly, the price in ourselves. So Tiffany. Yes. We're ready to roll. Okay, so I thought it would be nice to chant to the, the mothers. So um, this is a, a chant and um, the, the two personalities that we call out to is a fierce mother goddess of Kali. Uh, and she is a, a protector and defender. And then we also have another very fierce, uh, strong, loving goddess of Durga. And she is a, a protector and, and um, caretaker. So that's who we will chant to this morning. And the, the first bit is Om Narayani, which is calling to the great mother personality. So it kind of encompasses all different types. So, uh, so yeah, I will chant a bit and then you can uh, chant on your own. And maybe Bryce can uh, be the person who follows. So you can follow when Bryce is chanting. That's when everyone chants back. So it's a call and response that we'll do real quick. Should we leave everyone muted? It gets pretty wild otherwise. Yes, I think everyone should stay muted. Yeah, that'll be better. But you can just chant in your own homes if you would like to join in. Oh, 
everywhere share in the merits of our practice may we be nourished and inspired and find our way to being loving with ourselves and everyone we encounter so let us bow to each other And then to share the 
An American Sign Language applause. <laughs> Thank you, Tiffany and Bryce. That was really beautiful. Till we meet again, dear friends, be safe. Thank you.